With Capella University's FlexPath learning format, you can earn your degree online at your own pace and get support from people who care about your success. Imagine your future differently at capella.edu. This isn't your average business podcast, and he's not your average host. This is the James Altucher Show on the Stansberry Radio Network. So I have with me uh, Jarek Robbins, and uh, welcome to the show. Thank You're you for having author me. Author of Live It, which, by the way, we've been going back and forth on Amazon. <laughs> In the success section or the yeah. motivational section, yeah. number one, number two, sometimes you're number one, sometimes I'm number one. Yeah. Uh, I really don't like it when you're number one, but I'm, <laughs> I'm cool with it. It's okay. Um, it kept bugging me. I, I, I finally, I, at first I saw you pop in number one. I'm like, who is this guy? And then I Googled you. I'm like, oh, wow, he's kind of a big deal. Dang, I don't know if I can get that spot back, and we kept pushing for it. No, wait, you're a big deal. Like, you're, you know, life coach. Uh, you've had lots of experiences. The book, Live It, is great. I, I definitely recommend it. Um, the elephant in the room a little bit, I have to mention, if you don't mind. Sure. You know, Tony Robbins is your dad. Sure. Um, you know, and just how has that, uh, and I want to get into Live It, but I do want to know, how has that affected your choice to become a, a personal coach and, you know, and you've obviously been succeeding at that. You know, sure. how has that come into play? Sure. Um, I'm sure you most get, is that annoying when yeah. people ask you about your dad? Uh, we get it a lot. <laughs> but, but I can see why. We're in the same industry doing this very similar thing. With And, and honestly, my foundation came from him. He, I, I grew up in his company as far as those are my first jobs, working in the nonprofit, working in sales, working in the warehouse, working in outside sales, inside sales, coaching. I was trained by them as far so as So you coaching. basically, from like early age, you were like, it's almost like you're a groom to be a professional coach. Kind of, except for his best advice for me was not to go into this business. He wanted me to go have my own experience in life to figure out who I am, what I'm about, what life is for me, regardless of who he is or what he's about. And I remember multiple times, even when I was choosing my degree, and in, in, I ended up going to psychology, which is somewhat similar, right? Uh, just because I love people and I love to figure out why do they do what they do and how do they think and what's this version of psychology versus the one I grew up around. And I, I, I remember at one point sitting down with him and he's be like, what do you want to do when you graduate? I was like, I don't know. So it's sort of like the same question any father would ask any yeah. kid, really. But the answer But he didn't push you into anything. Not at all. Okay. And, and if anything, I was like, I want to do this. And he was like, oh, go try something else. Like, go. Come on. Get out of there. Go do something else. Just see what's out there. And what was really interesting was I remember one specific conversation we sat down and had where he he was like, well, you've got a, like a cool ethnic look about you. He you're, said that about you. Yeah, he's, he's, he's <laughs> like, you're tan. You got this cool yeah. ethnic look. He's like, you can blend really well in different cultures. And he's like, have you ever thought about maybe learning another language and maybe doing like the FBI or CIA or something? And I remember looking at him being like, what the hell are you talking I about? I don't want to get shot at. Like, yeah. no thanks. But nowadays, actually, I, I met an FBI agent a few weeks ago at a networking meeting in Tampa, and I was like, whoa! Like, I really just wanted to hold her badge for a second and see how cool it was. <laughs> uh, but, I, but I remember hearing, like, wild, crazy ideas, and, and the main thing he always wanted me to do was just find myself. Figure out who I was in the world. Uh-huh. And it wasn't always easy. Um, it was, to tell you the truth, when I first got into this field, um, we just celebrated our sixth year this month of being in our own business, separate from his. And when I first separated out, it was kind of difficult finding my own message um, because I was so versed in his and I've heard it. I mean, I started listening to his tapes and this is going to sound silly, but when I was 13. Well, it's interesting because, I mean, usually, so six years ago, you would have been 24 years old, Mm -hmm. which is normally, I would say, a very young age to be a coach because people, you you would have had to have had a certain amount of experiences, but at the same time, you had been so, in, uh, I don't want to say indoctrinated because that sounds like uh, that's like a, a loaded word, but you were so infused with his message and his coaching technique and his coaching experiences that it did give you, you know, the experience to go out there and, and coach. Yep. Uh, and how did that come into conflict? You know, how did you kind of get his message? And by the way, I've interviewed him on this podcast as well. It was sure. a great interview when his book Money came out. Yeah. But how did you get his me- message out of your head so you could start coming up with your own approach? It was tricky. 
Um, some, some simple things that happened was one thing he taught me that, that really held true is even when I coached for their company, I was very young. I started at 18. And when I was in that place, the one thing they would never allow me to do is coach on something I wasn't living in my own life. So they would never put me in the business section of coaching. <laughs> I think that's really critical because I do see a lot of business coaches yep. that just, they don't know business and, and business is really hard. Like it's, there's a thousand little details between, there's kind of all the major things that you think of, oh, let's, buy, let's build a product, let's sell a product, let's sell the company. But then there's like a thousand little details in between that nobody knows about because it's all kind of like... People with experience laundry. know about it. Yeah. <laughs> and, and for that, better or for worse. It's yeah. really unpleasant. <laughs> yep. and, and that was something he was always passionate about. And still to this day, I had a conversation with him a few days ago and, and, and he, he was very nice about it. But he said, you know, I, I hope this doesn't hurt your feelings in saying this. And I had mentioned the programs going out and I was helping team up with the person who's leading the program about business training. And I don't see myself as a business coach. But you've now run a business for six years. And so, so I, you have been through it. For a startup experience. Is a long time. Yeah. <laughs> I, I figure, I hear the statistic, 95% fail in the first five years. So I'm like, we made it! Yeah. <laughs> Part of the 5%. Let's see if we can make it to 2% if they're, I think six or seven years ago, the 98% fail. So... Uh, basically they almost all fail. Yeah. <laughs> uh, the statistics are against us, but in that process, really figuring out what was I competent at? What did I really truly experienced in my life and not only experienced it once, but continuously lived it. And it's easy to go get a result. Um, if you start even with fitness, which was the area I focused on in, in the beginning, which was, I knew how to transform my body. You know, I went from five, nine, 225 pounds going into high school, which is a pretty large kid <laughs> to, um, running marathons and being uber healthy and alkalizing my body and learning what it is to be really healthy physically, not ripped or in shape, but really healthy. What does it mean alkalizing your body? Um, so that, that was something I, I obviously picked up from dad and other places as well. It, it's a concept where we have such an acidic lifestyle, the coffee, the, um, alcohol, even the way we live, the amount of stress we have in our day-to-day -day life creates such an acidic environment that the body then is susceptible to a disease, disease, to take over and start to break us down. And what's crazy is when someone has a very alkaline system internally, you could swab, you know, do a cotton swab on their tongue, they could have streptococcus, which is strep throat on their tongue, but not have strep throat. Hmm. Versus someone who becomes acidic, overly stressed, too much acid-type foods, um, well, what are alkaline type foods to balance that off? Uh, really simple that anyone could do. If you did just lemon and water, it's very alkaline for your body. It'll help balance out that, that pH level. Um, green, live vegetables is very, most of them are very alkaline. Uh, random things are acidic though, like peanuts, which mm. I was like, okay, what, what's with a peanut? <laughs> mm. So there, there, you got to be able to just Google it. And if you look online, there's tons of resources that give you just list after list of what is alkaline, what's acidic. And so I started alkalining and my body just went to its natural healthiest form, which was awesome. Mm. And it wasn't like what I looked like or any of that piece. It was just how I felt. And I woke up every day with twice the energy I had the day before and always feeling better and better and better. And so, so I want to, I actually want to, I'm interested in the coaching business, like yeah. the, the aspect of coaching as a business, because obviously mm -hmm. psychology and psychiatry has lasted for hundreds of years as an industry. Sure. Um, but you know, coaching is kind of a recent phenomenon, kind of all, almost created by your dad or maybe Jim Rohn before him. Sure. Um, what, what makes a good coaching business? And then this is going to lead into your book, Live It, because I think that's your, it sounds like that's your message. But what makes a good coaching business? Why have you survived into year six? Um, and, and what kind of person needs a coach? I mean, I guess everybody to some extent needs a coach, sure. but... Uh, what makes a good coach for some, for some, and I guess what I'm really asking is someone listening to us is sitting in their cubicle right now and they're like, I hate this cubicle and I want to be a coach. What do I need to do? Sure. <laughs> Big well, question. That's an interesting transition. Um, I don't recommend coaching as the industry you go into when you hate your job. <laughs> uh, coaching is normally something you go into when you have a passion for people, when you're, joy comes in life and watching someone else do more of what they want to do. And in the beginning, um, I always learned to separate a coach from a mentor, from a, a therapist or a counselor. And a therapist or counselor helps you work through past issues you've struggled with in a way where you don't know how to get through those and they help you. But don't you feel, I feel like in your book, Live It, you've done that with some of the people you coach. We pulled some tools in. You know, like, um, like people who struggle with 
different, uh, you know, business concepts. It could be because of some fear they've had in the past. And so we pull some of that in, but we stay away from hardcore counseling. We're not here to talk about the last 53 years of your life and how we're going to do that and what it all adds up to. Um, We're here to say, listen, if there's something in the past that's a road bump, we'll work work our way through it. You know, we'll figure out what that is. We'll figure out how to get released. And we'll use quick, simple strategies to get through that like this. Um, the, The other piece we look at is the mentor. And the mentor is someone who's, they've done this consistently in their life. And you'd be a great mentor in business. You've you've repeatedly done it again and again and again. Yeah. But you can show people what to do and what not here's, here's to do. That's how you do it. Yeah. <laughs> and, and both ways. And, and that's a mentor, someone who's walked the path many times over. Mm-hmm. It's not a one-hit wonder who they've done it once and they're going to teach the whole world how to do it. It's like, hey, I've, I've done this 12 times, 15 times, 20 times in my life. Let me just show you what works and what doesn't. Right. Um, and then there's a coach. And a coach isn't in there to play the game. And this is what's tricky. Because when I remember getting my first client who um, I had a professor from Cornell University and I was like, what in the world am I going to teach this guy? Like, he's the guy I go to learn to. Did you go to Cornell? No. Um, I I did get denied from Cornell, but I did get into USD in San Diego. Much better. (laughs) Which worked out. It was sunny. (laughs) Sunny all year. It worked out. Uh, I wasn't aware of how cold it was up there. (laughs) So this professor from Cornell, how did he even know about you? Um, he came through dad's organization at the time. He hired me as a, hired them as a coach. They allocated him to me because he was trying to fix his health. Mm. And I was like, Oh, I can go to you in health all day long. Like I know exactly how to get you to be your best. And first is identifying his philosophy, identifying his strategy, making sure it's sound, making sure it adds up. You know, sometimes people just have an unsound strategy. <laughs> well, if it's long distance like that, how are you able to get involved in kind of the basics of habit change? Like let's say he was a sugar addict. Sure. You know, how do you how do you get involved in that? One big thing on coaching is honesty and integrity. Mm-hmm. And I always try to do it via Skype so I can see people and we can have the face-to-face conversation because sometimes someone will say something over the phone and you can't really hear it. But if you can see their eyes and see their face, you can see that little twinge and it's like, oh, you ate healthy this week and they smile funny. And you're like, whoa, what was that smile? That doesn't seem like health to me. And they're like, well, I had a couple of cheeseburgers. And it's like, and, and the fry and, and a milkshake. You're like, oh boy. <laughs> and so you have to be able to see those things. And, and Skype is a great tool for that. So do you think, you think in that sense, coaching almost makes you kind of like a professional accountability partner? Mm-hmm. So like they, you know, you know, you have to do this, this, and this, this checklist to be yep. healthier. Uh, they know it also. Yep. And then they become accountable to you. Yep. Whether or not to do that. And what's fun is depending on how in depth you want to go with somebody, um, we use everything between habit tracking apps now, where as they check them off, I can go and look at their file and I can see what they're checking off every day and if they're doing it. Um, even deeper than that, we can log into health apps specifically where when they step on the scale every day, it updates our app with their weight, their body fat percentage, their heart rate, and we can start to see what their metrics look like. So I know if on Sunday night, all of a sudden they gained four pounds, I was like, okay, something, something happened <laughs> in a four pound range. Like either you're wearing more clothes or you ate a big meal. That's really interesting. So the use of apps and, uh, in coaching technology, you, you can make a whole kind of like, uh, uh, coach in a box package with all the apps needed for any coach. I would love it. I, I have different friends who are building out different apps, and I wish I could put it all in one. Um, yeah, you should because you can sell that. You know, let's say negotiate a discount from everybody yep. and have a kind of a, a general Groupon offer for all coaches. Yep, that would be a great. Okay, I'm just giving you a great idea. Right the now. one thing I always wanted to do is figure out a coaching app that would not only allow me to track my clients but allow everyone to track me as a coach. Because uh, so now... Why do they need to track you as a coach? For accountability of coaching. Hmm. Because if I have clients that are working with me that are not being consistent with their actions or not getting the goals they want, that means either A, I'm a horrible coach, or B, I'm not the right coach for them. Ah, you know... And now it causes integrity because if they're not the right client for me. I do not need to keep them in my business. I need to fire them from my business and get them to a better coach that fits their style. So let's let's think about that. So mm-hmm. one idea is um, right now there's kind of a spoken wheel approach. You're you're in the middle mm-hmm. and you have all your clients are on, at the wheel. Yep. What if they had uh, kind of Jarek Robbins or Livet meetups? Yep. Actually, a Livet meetup. Are they all li- living it? Sure. And. Then they can discuss with each other. You remove yourself from the equation a little, yep. but that makes you like Google. Google removes itself from the equation. Yep. Google doesn't do anything but send you away from their site as fast as possible. That's but true. then everybody goes back to Google. But if you had these kind of meetups of your clients, 
then they're going to discuss you and what, how they're improving and also to help improve each other. Yeah. Ultimately, you're still at the, in the middle of the wheel. Yeah, that philosophy that they'd be able to consistently tap into and go away with. Yeah. That's awesome. And, and so that was part of the concept with, with coaching nowadays is using all the technology to track, to measure, to be a part of their life. Um, and now some people don't like that. <laughs> I remember when uh, the... Why wouldn't they like it? Because they feel then it's too exposing or no, they don't want to be as authentic? It feels like Big Brother because someone's always watching. It's like, ah, like how much data are you gathering on me? What are you doing with it? Um, so confidentiality is a big thing in, in, in coaching. Um, we work with clients from all different ranges and all different companies and, and the bigger and fancier the name of the business and company, the less they want to be tracked what's, <laughs> and monitored. What's it like? And I'm just trying to understand the mechanics of the business sure. because I think, I think your success as a coach is related to all these things relating from, um, the conciseness of your message to, uh, essentially how you charge. So how, how does the charging work? Like does an individual pay X per month or what sure. does it look like? Um, it's different. In, in our specific business, we have a monthly rate and we always work with people in 6, 12, or 18-month increments mm-hmm. just because... So they sign up from the beginning. I want 12 months of coaching. Mm-hmm. What's that? What's the average price for 12 months of coaching? Um, for us specifically, we do nine ninety seven a month. So $1,000 a month, two calls a month, and then I do my best to track them in every other way possible. So it's not, hey, you get two hours of time and that's all I'll ever talk to you and, oh, your time's up, Goodbye. It's we're emailing back and forth between calls. I'm looking at their strategies. I'm looking at their goals. I'm looking at their habits. I'm look, I'm tracking them health wise and seeing what they're doing. So, but that, but that takes up a lot of time. Like you could only have so many people. Mm-hmm. You're responding. You're, it's only so many emails you could respond to every day. You also yep. are on the road. Yep. You know, you just got married. You just, you're doing podcasts. You have a book to promote. Mm-hmm. How much? How many clients can you individually take on? Um, here's what we've done. When I first started, I my goal got split because I'm a new business owner and I'm trying to succeed at business. And what success to me was at that stage of life was abundance financially, like improving, I made it. So I was aiming for six figures as fast as possible, which is a small number to certain people, but it was a big number to me at the time. Yeah. At the age of 24, that's, yeah. that's an incredibly big <laughs> like number. If I do hundred grand, I, I did I it. I was doing five figures at the age of 24. I think I was doing high fours. <laughs> and, and I went for it. And in, in eight months, I did six figures and I was like, I did it. That's great. And I went from signing up one or two clients a month to 52 clients a month I was working with. 52 clients a month? 52 clients a month. They were sending you, so you were getting 104 emails a month. Oh no, you were having 104 phone calls a month plus emails throughout. Yep. Did you go insane? Yes. <laughs> Who helped you? I figured out that was not what I signed up for. Because originally the reason I wanted my own business in the first place was to have more freedom, to have the life I really wanted. And and, and I figured out I did it backwards. I, I started a business that took up twice the amount of time, twice the amount of energy, twice the amount of effort, um, which I'm pretty sure is every startup to an extent than you think. And I, I got in, went for it. 52 clients a month. I was working six days a week, waking up at six, going to bed at midnight, like just hustling all day. And what happened at that point is I realized charging wise, um, two things, a, it was okay for me to raise my price at that point from $500 a month and being like, okay, maybe I could charge more than this because I'm full. <laughs> I have no room. Um, but a different concept came in of leverage of how many clients do I need to take it down to so that I can serve them at the highest level, meaning I can track them, I can email them, I can monitor them, I can see them. Because at 52 clients, I started to lose track a little. Yeah. And that wasn't okay with me. But then you have to kind of slowly convince them. It's almost like you have to reel in the ones that you think could be, you could really focus on. But they're not convinced yet because you've only been providing the you know 52-client Jarek version to them. Yep. And I did something really crazy. Um, I, I you thought quit of, everything. No. I thought about the longevity of it. And I, I promised the people who started with me, which I still have a handful that are with me, and I said, if you stick with me and you never miss a re-enrollment, you can keep the price you started with. And so I have clients that are still paying the exact same price they started with me five years ago. Wow. Six years now. Why wouldn't all 52 stay? Um, just uh, t- whatever they were working on. Right. Some people achieved that goal. They right. were they're like, hey, I got it. I, you know, What do I need to coach for now? I've, I've got it. My systems work. Everything's flowing. It's effortless. It's I think it's a great aspect of coaching versus like therapy. Like therapy seems like this doctor you go to <laughs> forever, you're, forever. You're never cured. But like uh, coaching does seem more tactical. Like okay, I have a problem. 
dealing with this health issue. I'd like to be down to this number of pounds yep. or health or whatever. Yep. And okay, goal achieved. No yep. more coaching for now. And people use it for different ways, just like a personal trainer. Mm-hmm. Like you go to the trainer, you get your goal, you've got it, you're good, you've got your routine, you've got your rhythm, you stick with it. Now, usually what happens is someone will disappear for six months, a year or so. And then when they're ready to work on a really big goal, something that they know is going to stretch them, they come right back and they say, hey, let's do it again. You know, it worked the first time. I'd like to do it a second time. But here's the goal. It's much bigger than last time. It's going to take a lot more strategy and and insight and ways to get there. So let's figure out what we can do. What about uh, companies that you coach? How does that work? Mm Um, it's different based on every company. My very first client actually on my own was a law firm in London Mm -hmm. and they were struggling with time management skills, Mm -hmm. which at that time in my life, I was very, I don't know the nice word to say it. I I was very tight with my time. Mm -hmm. (laughs) It was like, wake up, do this, do this to the point where I had even timed out grocery shopping. It took me like 18 minutes and 32 seconds to enter the grocery store, do this lap, get these exact things and get out. And there was a variance of a minute or two, depending on which lane I got into to check out. (laughs) And I timed like making a juice in the morning. It took me five minutes and I I forget how many seconds, but to juice it, drink it, clean it, put it away, five minutes and something seconds. I guess you had to be like that though, because with 52 clients, if every, if you, if you wasted a minute, like playing angry birds, you were in trouble. You're done. You're done. You're out of business at that point. You miss a call, you're out. Yeah. And so what happened was I, I, I was really good at time management. So this law firm in London, I went through and I'm like, okay, I got to tighten you guys up. Like you guys are uh, doing all kinds of stuff. Like the lead lawyer in the office was leaving his door open all day and having these people run by and just pop in and ask him questions all day. And I'm like, how do you get anything done when you're constantly interrupted? So what what are, for a firm like that, what are like, let's say three or four tips for time management? And again, I I, I don't mean to be... um, I, I actually want to talk about Live It, your book, yeah. but I'm, I'm actually really fascinated by the coaching business. I think it's really, very interesting. Of course. It, it was simple. It was really simple. And I think it was so simple that they didn't think of it because it sounded too simple. Um, but for them, we counted how many times a day someone interrupted their flow of work. And a friend of mine had written a book called uh, The Myth of Multitasking. So he said it's a complete lie because it's really switch tasking. It's going back and forth, back and yes. forth. And there's an opportunity cost between every switch. So you're losing seconds and minutes all added up equals, I think his statistics showed that out of every hour of work, paid work that an employee has, they only get 20 minutes of productivity on average, which is insane. I mean, there's 40 minutes of non-productivity. I I believe that. It reminds me of, um, you know, uh, so so before we started the podcast, we were talking about chess a little bit. And Anatoly Karpov, who was the world chess champion throughout the 70s and 80s, he, somebody once asked him, how many hours a day do you study chess? And he said, um, three hours tops. And right. then the rest of the time he plays tennis, he works out, he, you know, he stays in shape, he studies English, and things like that. Because I think in general, people are never as productive as they either say or they would like. Like, it's hard to be productive from six in the morning to midnight. Yeah. Like, the brain just doesn't work that way. Yeah. We're not meant to be hunting you know, 18 hours a day. Yep. So law firms were only just created, you know, 100, 200 years ago. Yep. And what was tricky, so it was the simplest thing ever. We went and bought a sign from a convenience store that said, be back in 20 minutes. <laughs> we stuck it on his glass door with how much time he wanted to focus and put a list next to it that said, hey, put your name and what we need to talk about on it. And I'm going to focus for chunks of time throughout the day. So he would say, listen, I'm going to do 30 minutes Total focus, stick it on the door, stick a list next to it. They can sign their name when they want to talk to them. 30 minutes of absolute focus. But like you said, you don't do six hours of total focus. So 30 minutes, you take a break. During that 15-minute break, check the list. He'd see the meetings, call them in, go through it, and another 30 minutes. And he would do these increments of totally focused chunks of time. It increases productivity overall. I forget the exact percentage, but it, it nearly doubled it pretty quickly just based on the ability to have solid chunks of quality focused time. Mm-hmm. And, and it's like easy stuff like that. So uh, I don't sound like a rocket scientist and giving so, that tip, but it changes the dynamics of how the whole firm works. So what did you do? You went to the firm and did you just sit there and watch like everybody roaming around yelling at each other? Or? It was all on Skype. All on Skype. All on Skype. I was just asking him detailed questions. Tell me about your day. What happens next? What happens then when you're working on this? Tell me how it goes. Mm. What do you do from there? You know, have him kept the journal. 
just every, at the top of every hour, write down exactly what happened in the past 60 minutes. So, so let me ask, was there, then did they pay a corporate rate or did he still pay, pay an individual nope, rate? He was just paying individually okay. and he was working with me, but he was the head. So he was using right. everything I was working with him and he was parlaying it into his whole team. How'd you feel about that? Like, did you feel like he was sort of like, uh, at, stealing at your point, IP? Nope. At that point I was incredibly grateful to have a client. Yeah. Okay. Good. <laughs> so I'm sure I've helped many more people than I imagine. Um, but I also made it a goal and this is something I picked up from a friend a long time ago, which is I want to make my work focus on people who, when I help them, they can help many. Right. Cause that whole learn it, live it, give it concept. I want to be able to take my message, what I've learned, share it with how I've lived it, share it with someone else, but then have them immediately learn what they need, live their way and ripple out their stuff. And I think that ripple is that's that's exciting to me more than money <laughs> yeah my guess is also that's the key to the success of your business because that ripple comes comes back it does so when it hits all the shores everybody you know is aware of it yeah and so, people call people are like hey i worked for this company and and they taught me this one thing that they said they learned from you i'd love to see if it will work for me or how you can help me specifically would you mind working with me and it's like sure so six years later like how has the business evolved like what would you say you know now now you're in it for obviously the long game so so sure. how is it now kind of stabilized matured sure. where, where are you in the business um we're at a point now where we're getting ready to take it and and i learned something more recently which is I've had a coaching practice for this many years. I didn't have a coaching business. Hmm. Um, with, if I'm not there, it doesn't run. Right. <laughs> That's a practice, meaning I have to physically be there practicing my art daily. Otherwise, I'm out of business. Is this something that your dad could have told you year one? Because he obviously understood the difference between having a, uh, you know, having a business where all the assets walk out the door at the end of the day sure. as opposed to having a business that has real sure. value. Um, I'm not sure. I'm guessing he probably could have, mm -hmm. but that would have robbed me of a pretty important life lesson in business. Mm -hmm. <laughs> which he was, was strict with you. Yeah, he's good. <laughs> he's really good. I usually get, you know, five, six years down the road at something and be like, that guy, he knew it the whole time. <laughs> um, but it's awesome because he allows me to learn those lessons and he, he helps us from time to time. He'll give us a hint or two, but he allows us to go walk our path and figure out what the brick wall feels like and everything else in between. And um, that was one of those things where we're at a stage now that we're getting ready to completely transfer from a coaching practice into a coaching business where we're getting ready to ramp up a team and hire coaches and, and run a whole business where it's running itself regardless if I'm doing the practice or not. Are you scared about that? Because so I've run businesses where I was like the guy that people wanted to talk to. And when I started assigning project managers to projects, people felt let down a little bit. That's a big transition. There's a uniqueness that we're aiming for that I, I, I think people will still feel that way to an extent. We're not going to drop all my clients right away. They're welcome to stay with me because I made them a promise that I would continue right. to deliver the service for that price forever. So they won't, I mean, the, the day when my rate goes up and they still pay 500 bucks a month, they're going to love me. Yeah. <laughs> but I'm sick to my word. I said it, so I'll do it until the day they decide they don't want to do it anymore. Um, but with the thought process, there, there are some fears there. There's some uncertainties or unknowns. Which to me, it's also excitement though, because it's like, wow, like, I can grow, I can learn, I can expand, and it'll give me more experience to share with more people. I guess this, this segues into the book because it seems like part of the reason for a coaching business, for the main guy at a coaching business to write a book, is to basically elucidate this message of, this is what I stand for. You know, every coach kind of has their different things, you know, sure. that they stand for. They're different acronyms. They're different, you know, whatever, whatever sure. is empowering slogans or not, not that that's what it's about. But uh, it seems like you have a very, you know, strong, unique message and live it. And One, that will spread throughout the business. Yeah. And, and those are just the core philosophies. Those are the core pieces that I think really make a difference. And not that I think make a difference. I know make a difference. There were the stuff that I wanted to write this book probably 10 years ago. And because all this information was in me, I knew all the steps, I knew all the theories, I knew all the strategies per se, and I could help other people use them in right. health or certain areas of their life. But when I really looked in the mirror, for some reason, I just couldn't finish the book. I remember writing about 98 pages of it um, seven, maybe eight years ago now. I wrote 98 pages by myself on a computer one day, just sat down, and I think I wrote for like two or three days, and I wrote 98 pages of this content. This was my book. And then why'd you stop? Because I couldn't finish it. Hmm. And I literally just hit a place where I was like, 
I can't say anything past this point because I haven't done it. So two questions. Why didn't you publish the 98 pages? Because you still could have 98 pages as a book. Sure. Um, but the other thing is, how did you feel like stopping? Like, were you depressed? It was frustrating. Mm-hmm. But it, it wasn't frustrating from a like, oh, this is horrible. It was frustrating of like, dang, as much as I want to believe I'm maybe a step or two further than I am, like, this is reality. I'm here I want to be there, but I'm not there yet. And it's that piece as a young guy where it's, I mean, I could have puffed up my chest and pretended I was there, but it wasn't, it wasn't the truth. And it didn't sit well. I was like, ah. So I remember just being like, you know what? They'll, uh, they'll come a time. And, and what I need to do is exactly the whole title of this book is I need to really just live it. I need to take this stuff, put it into my life, take areas of my life that I haven't mastered or really, you know, dominated in the way I want to. And put it to work and see what happens and, and, you know, hit a few brick walls and mess up along the way and enjoy the process, but really learn what it takes until the point where I can sit back and be like, I'm living it. You can come hang out with me all day. And like, when I say, wake up and do this morning ritual, that's what we do. (laughs) Now, do you also, um, hold conferences around the coaching business, like where you bring people together or I did for a year. That's a tough business. (laughs) (laughs) It's hard to break even on that business. I did it for a year. We did London, Tokyo, Australia, um, uh, New York, L.A., Toronto three times for some reason. They liked us there, so we kept going back. San Francisco. um, We did all these different cities. And, oh, boy, we got some life lessons handed to us. Because, obviously, your dad does well with that business. He He builds Madison Square Garden. He works extremely hard at that business, and he does very well. And even he would tell you, you know, that's not the money maker. That's not the right. the business of the business. That's the passion of the business, and it's probably not smart to keep doing it that way. Um, but I, I'm also very lucky that online webinars, meetings, everything digital started pushing right as yeah. I was developing in this field. Where all of a sudden I was like, hey, if I would have done brick and mortar marketing in San Diego to get my first client, it would have taken me a long time to find one. Well, that's why you have guys like Lewis House, who you know, and we've talked about, like, he has a great webinar business, yep. you know, so that's that's obviously a good way to, to do it. Exactly. And all of a sudden, digitally, um, with very low risk, we can reach millions of people, and we can find unique and creative ways to reach people through all different mediums. And it does change the game a little bit, though, because, I mean, one of our most frustrating moments, but also entertaining moments, is you put up a really good informational YouTube video, and you get, like... 300 views and some kid makes a funny noise and he gets 10 million views. You're like, oh my goodness. <laughs> so we're figuring out, okay, in this medium of delivery, how do you deliver this message in a way that people want to receive it and they're going to be entertained and educated at the same time? And I mean, let me let me ask this. When you're go, so, so obviously through any life, we go through our ups and downs. Mm-hmm. When you were going through, let's say, low points in sure. your life, were you able to continue the consistency of delivering value to the clients? Yeah, that's where it all started. I mean, I, I stopped working for my dad. I was doing two years on the road sales, city to city. Um, it, it's commission only sales, but it was a sweet job because they what covered. What kind the, of sales? Like clients for your dad, or uh, we were going and delivering peak performance workshops in offices. Okay. So we would go into the office and we would deliver a fifty-five minute workshop for them, really, you know, scripted out, hand delivered. It's amazing. People loved it. Um, and then we would invite them to come see the seminars. So we were doing four to seven a day. <laughs> wow. And all over the country. Oh, my gosh. Um, it, it was fun. It was exciting. And as a young guy, to travel the country and get to live in New York and Boston and L.A. and Orange County and Tampa and uh, Atlanta, like, those are cool cities. It was yeah. fun. And what had happened was, oh, they also pay for your car, your cell phone, and your apart- corporate apartment. So, like, I had this awesome lifestyle right out of college. Then all of a sudden, I decided to quit, start my own company, move to San Diego. Um, I took three jobs in the transition to just to cover bills. And I was living in the front den of a house that had a curtain as a door. Um, actually, two curtains, and they didn't even match. And <laughs> living in the front den of a house with three roommates at the time. And, and I literally felt like I'm pretty sure I just got kicked backwards. I thought I was succeeding and now I'm not. Now I'm in the front den of a house with three roommates. Like something went wrong. <laughs> and, and, and also I had three jobs, one of which was, you know, helping manage and organize the warehouse, which was stuffing boxes and moving stuff and organizing crates. And I was like, this isn't, this isn't what I imagined either. And, and piece after piece after piece, I remember sitting there and that's when all the tools really matter. 
Um, you know, yeah, I think it's anyone can be happy and positive when right. things are going well. Anyone can be passionate and excited about a vision when they're on top of their game. But when you land up in a place where you're like, wow, this isn't what I imagined. Uh, where do you go emotionally? Where do you go mentally? Do you beat yourself up? Do you give up? Do you freak out? How do you, how do you get someone out of the emotional uh, frame? Gosh, I just can't get out of bed. I can't do it. Sure. Um, multiple ways. Habits and patterns are, are, are the key. And one of my favorite books is The Power of Habit. Um, and, and, and that thought process of if we're almost habit machines, meaning our brain functions, and if we've done this before, it just goes in the autopilot. And then at the end, it kicks off again because we're new task. Um, you just have to help them replace that routine with a new routine. And it's super simple. Um, if they just can't get out of bed and that's their habit, meaning they wake up, they lie there, they turn on the TV, they don't do anything. Um, all we need is a new replacement. So the moment you wake up, here's what I want you to do. You're going to make a commitment for the next five days or 10 days that every time your alarm goes off, I want you to immediately burst out of bed. And I know this is going to seem silly and weird and odd, but challenge yourself. Burst out of bed. You don't have to think anything. You don't have to say anything. And I want you to immediately get in the shower and take an ice cold shower. Ice cold. Why that? Ice cold. Wakes you up. <laughs> gets your blood flowing. It has uh, health effects as well. Huh. Uh, stimulates your lymph system. Gets your blood pumping. Cleanses your body. All this other stuff. But it wakes you up. <laughs> so I feel like I feel like you. And it sounds like you have like lots of techniques like that. Mm-hmm. Like burst out of bed. Tons. Ice shower. This. What are you know alkaline foods? Like mm-hmm. what are some others? Uh, you know, that are good tips that people can follow. Um, I'm one, totally stealing your whole coaching business. <laughs> well, I think you already have some of it. I, I was reading your book, um, Choose Choose Yourself, right? Yes. And, and as I was going through it, you talked about your four areas you focus on. Right. Uh, mental, emotional, physical, spiritual health. And some of the things, that we do the same thing. We focus, I just called them something else, but the majors right. of life. And pick one daily habit or ritual you can do in each major category of your life that will help you make progress. Yeah, that's a good way of, d- of d- putting it. Like, pick one, just pick one area. Even if all, even if all the areas are hard, pick one. Keep yeah. it simple. And, and and not to quote your dad, but he told me the story of moving the target closer when he was training sure. sharpshooters at the age of twenty-four when yep. you started your business. Yeah. So. And I would say it even simpler. And in that book, the the power of habit, it, it talks about a small win. So when you can get someone who doesn't feel like getting out of bed to have a small win first thing in the morning. What's a small win in this in this case? Making the bed. Making the bed, all right. That ain't hard. Everyone can do it. You read The um, you read the Art of Tidying Up by um, Marie Kondo? No. Oh, yeah, I recommend that. Um, she talks all about like how important it is to be basically cleaned up. Well, it's interesting. For, from a woman's perspective, um, I, I learned this from another woman author who talks about women and she goes, men don't realize women have, it's not an, a voice, but the environment calls to them. So when a woman is walking through a room, if a pillow's out of place or the dishes are dirty, the dishes will kind of call out and be like, Hey, why haven't you cleaned me? And the pillow will say, Hey, why haven't you straightened me? And the socks will be like, Hey, why haven't you taught him, taught him how to put me away yet? And so the environment speaks to them energetically and emotionally. So for, for that tidying up thought process, uh, the biggest thing for a woman is learning what has to happen for her environment to be quiet. You know, it's really interesting because my wife does go through that a lot. And so what we decided after reading this book, and this was part of the advice of the book, we threw everything out. We literally threw out all of our belongings. Like we have nothing left. And um, and then suddenly everything's tidy. Yep. There's nothing to tidy up. Yep. Like we just have some Clean clothes and, and that's it. Uh, I think the scary part of that same thing I was reading and learning from about this is, is the guy said, even when we're making love, they're still thinking about all this. She said, that is yep. scary. Well, when you go to a hotel, why do oh, you think it's so much we, better? I'm glad we threw everything out then. <laughs> but the thought is when you go to a hotel, why is it so much better? Because the room is tidy. Right. Everything's quiet so she can relax and enjoy herself versus being like pillows are yelling and dishes are talking and all this stuff. And whenever you say that, women are like, I'm not crazy and I don't have voices. And it's like, no, the environment's just pulling energetically at you. So, 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 so what? yes, we do have tons of strategies and, and one thing that whole learn it, live it, give it philosophy is what I'm constantly striving for. So let's talk about that. So learn it, describe that, learn it, figure out what you want in life and everyone's version of success is different. So some people want to be president. Some people want to own a company. Some people want to be a great wife or, or mom. Some people want to be just a, have a good day. <laughs> well, what if, what if, 
Uh, let me challenge that for a second. Mm-hmm. What if somebody wants to be a mom, for instance? Sure. Or what if somebody wants to be the boss of their company? Yeah. How do you know that's a real you know, thing they want or that's something they've just been taught uh, by their peers and history and universities and governments and colleagues that it's been something mm-hmm. that they think that they want, but it's not really what's going to deliver them happiness. Yeah. Well, there's a set of questions I I picked up from, it was a oneness conference in Fiji with a a group of monks from India and and they were teaching this process and it was ironic because my dad was actually teaching this one segment and this one segment, it's ironic how it linked up, but there were four questions and one is who did you always want love from as a kid? And not who you got it from, but who you wanted it from. And it's usually a person that didn't give it to you as much as you desired. And then the second question is, you know, who did you think you had to be in order to receive their love or affection? Hmm. And I remember my two questions is I wanted love from my dad, who's the guy teaching this stuff. And, and second, I thought I had to be this perfect kid, you know, always dressed, shirt tucked in, hair combed, like always put together. And I was like, what? Interesting. And, you know, the third question is, who did you think you could never be? Because if you were that kind of person, you thought they would take that love from you or they would take that appreciation or affection or adoration from you. And I was like, okay, I never thought I could be messy or sloppy or wild or crazy or outrageous or any of these things. And then it was like, well, who are you today? And who are you today for a lot of people to, is just a reflection of who they thought they needed to be as that kid wanting that love or attention or affection. And so how do you know if it's really yours? Answer those four questions. Say, okay, who did I really want love or affection from as a kid? Mom, dad, grandma, grandpa, uncle, aunt, brother, sister, somebody. (laughs) Who did I think I needed to be? And, you know, okay, write that list down. Who did I think I could never be? Because if I was this kind of person, I think they would take their appreciation or love or attention from me. And then who am I today? And I remember coming home and answering those questions and being like, wow. And then I called my mom and I asked my mom, I'm like, mom, answer these questions. And when we got to that fourth question, she started crying on the phone. And I, I felt horrible. I don't want to make my mom cry. And I was like, well, what happened? And she goes, you know, nothing. She was, I think, 40, 44 years old at the time. And when I asked her, she goes, you know, it just hit me. And I said, what? And she goes, I spent my whole life trying to, trying to get that love and appreciation from my dad. Hmm. I went, really? She goes, yeah. From birthday gifts I get him to how I try to perform at what I do to who I, you know, what I do with my life to things I focus on. And it was like, wow. And I said, well, here's the final question is what would you have to change to just be yourself? And she's like, you know, I don't know right now. But, I, but and she said, thank you. And she's like, I, I have to go. That, that's, it, I think that I don't know is, is critical because I think it's hard. Yeah. You can't just sort of, it's not like test questions. You can't just sort of answer them. Like yeah. when I hear you ask these questions, I don't really know, uh, you know, what my answers would be. I'd have to think about them. Like my first thought might be a family member say, sure. but then my second thought might be, I always wanted girls to love me when I was growing up, sure. you know, when I was kind of a nerdish sort of kid. Sure. So I'd have to really think about what the real answers are and what I did to and try to win that love. And what's interesting is exactly that. People try to win that love. Um, they put on their mask. They put on their, you know, thought of who they need to be or their presentation of themselves for the person they think they need to be all these years versus getting down to the person who they just really are. So that's So that's sort of like what to unlearn, but now what do I learn? How do I learn what I really want to do? So once you, and and it takes some thought, it takes some time to figure this out. And once you figure out that final list of, you know, what would just allow you to just be yourself? Now, based on you just being you, what do you really want with your life? From that person, from that core of just the authentic, real, natural, totally you (laughs) version of you, what would be your perfect day? You know, what would be your perfect day-to-day life that you'd want to achieve that if you could live that kind of daily life, you you wouldn't trade it for anything on earth. I feel like a lot of people do want to achieve something, like they mm-hmm. want to achieve some greatness in something or sure. be known for something. Sure. But do you, do you find like I often feel like I don't want to achieve anything. Mm-hmm. Like sometimes it's good to not want anything really. For most people, when I ask them this question, it's it's really fantastic because it starts off with like, well. I would be earning this or doing this or leading this or doing this. And then you keep digging and keep digging and you get to some really, really beautiful moments of people's lives. And I'll remember specifically, there was a gentleman who flew in from Ireland. I think we were at an event in Texas. I was one of the co-teachers of the event. And I asked this question and he stood up and he says, you know, my perfect day, he said, I don't know the whole day, but I know the morning. My perfect morning would be waking up, getting to have breakfast with my little girl and getting to take her to school. 
And I said, really? Why? And he said, mom and I got a divorce a while ago. She lives with her mom. I don't get to see her all the time. But if, you know, there's nothing more special than that. If I could wake up, have breakfast with her, take her to school, and just have that moment to start my day, I wouldn't trade it for anything on earth. Mm. It's like, wow! Like, that's not overly complicated. That's not, I mean, to figure out the marriage and everything else that goes in there could be complicated. But that simple act of just living is what this man really wants to feel alive. And that's the type of day he wouldn't trade for anything, those moments. And was he able to achieve it? Mm -hmm. It's something that I I didn't follow up with him, but he made it, he said, listen, this is an absolute must. In the next 30 days, I'm going to find a way that at least so many days a month, I can make this happen. Hmm. And I don't care if I have to rearrange my work schedule, if I have to clear stuff, I'm going to do it. Because if I were to die that day, knowing that I did that, I'd die happy. And that's the kind of piece I look for in people of what would that day have to be that if it was your last day, you'd go out with a smile on your face knowing that you really lived. So I guess, I guess that leads to the live it. Yep. And, and that, that's the whole chapter one concept is what is that day for you? What would it be? And, and Yeah, you call it the ideal day. Yeah, your, your ideal, ideal day? day, your perfect day, your whatever day you want to call it. I call it your ideal day because it seems like a good term. Um, But if you were to live that absolute ideal day, what would you do? Who would you be with? Where would you go? How would you feel? What would be possible on that day? You know, how much energy would you have? Who would you share lunch with? (laughs) What would you have for lunch? Just simple questions that when you can really define that. And for most people, the average person I ask the question to, usually when they're stressed out and working, their answer is like, margaritas, Maui. (laughs) You're like, okay, that'd be boring after about a week. <laughs> right. So then People don't realize do? that, though. People think that's the goal. That's, that's the goal. Yep. They, they fit, they're finished as a human when they make $10 million, and then they go to Maui, and they're done as a human yep. after that. And so, so how, do you over, how do you get them to overcome that kind of illusion? Here's what I first did. Um, I had an experience where I, I went around the world on a ship as a student. Um, Africa broke my heart open in a beautiful way and taught me how the rest of the world lives, the majority of the planet lives. And I, I was, you know, urged just spiritually to go back. And so I went and spent three months living in a village there, teaching organic farming, teaching English, figuring out how to help hands on physically help people. And in the village we were in, no running water, no electricity, no toilets, just rural country living in Africa. And it was hard. It was tough living there. And when I got back, I was bent on teaching everyone the fact that they have to stop getting, being so consumed with stuff and they have to start helping. And I realized that they really didn't care. <laughs> They're like, that's sweet. Good for you. Glad you're helping. I'm going to go buy myself a new TV. I was like, ah, <laughs> drove me nuts. And what I learned was trying to convince everyone in the world that stuff doesn't matter and only helping others does is a really hard task. And instead of doing that, I I remember reading a quote from Jim Carrey that said, I wish everyone could be rich and famous to realize it ain't it. And I thought, I'm like, wait a second. What if that's the secret? What if the secret isn't convincing them what they want is the wrong thing? What if it's just helping them get there faster so they can have it go, oh, this isn't it. Now I can have their attention. Now I can go, oh, that's not it. Come try this. See if it is for you. And what's interesting is those, that's the strategy I came up with probably five, six years ago was I'm going to help people get to their results as fast as humanly possible so they can realize it ain't it. And at that point, I can mm. help kind of nudge them towards things that might be a little bit more fulfilling. On the so what's an example where you got someone to achieve their goal and then they came to you and said, hey, that wasn't it? Sure. Um, there's countless, I'm trying to think of a specific one, but anything between, you know, someone starting a business and making money thinking if I can just make enough money, then that'll solve all my issues. They go out and make all the money thereafter. And they're like, now what, (laughs) you know, now I just want either more money or I have to kind of choose something else. And a specific story of someone who just came on a retreat, uh, we weren't the cause of him making all his money, but it's a young guy. He's 30 years old. Uh, he started Chinese fast food restaurants in London um, he built them up to the point at which over the last so many years, he had about 50 million pounds in the bank. So about a hundred million us dollars, pretty well for 30, Sure, yeah. <laughs> like pretty well for anybody, but 30, like the guy's crushing it. Uh, he bought his Austin Martin, he did all this stuff and, and I'll never forget cause he had everything he ever wanted. And, and 
you know, according to his dad, he wasn't going to make it anywhere in life. And so he bought his dad's stuff and took him places and did all these things. And I remember him sharing a story where he's, he told us, he's like, you know, I was depressed and, and to a point suicidal. Like I, I, I got everything I wanted and I wasn't happy and I was so just frustrated. And I said, what happened? And he said, a friend of mine, I, I was literally contemplating ways to kill myself, really, truly. And a friend of mine said, hey, I'm taking this trip to Africa. It'll probably be really dangerous. Um, so I don't know if you want to come. And he was like, dangerous? Perfect. <laughs> Almost like he needed to challenge himself. Yeah, he's like, I, I could I could die possibly? Perfect. I don't have to kill myself. Like, I'll just put myself in harm's way. We'll see what happens. <laughs> he went there, and he had the same experience I did when he got there. He saw people in so much need that it activated something within him that said, wow, I can help. And I think this is one of those pieces. When you, find, when you get people to a certain extent where they feel like their basic needs of life are handled, and basic needs might be they have the house they wanted or they, their family is taken care of or they're living the lifestyle they wanted or their business is finally working, whatever that is. Their health is good now. They stop thinking about themselves and they start looking around at other people. And the moment the eyes go from me, 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 my stuff, my goals, my things, my stuff, to, whoa, look at these other people. Wow, I, I can help that person. Like, I know that. Or, hey, I, I have something. Here, take this. The moment that transition happens in a person, they seem to flourish. For this young man, um, it, being that he had so much money, he started handing out money to people thinking it would help. They called him the crazy Muzungu, which is you know African for white person. <laughs> crazy white guy handed out money. They're like, sweet. Um, and then he got to a point where he's like, this is not sustainable. I can't just give away all my money to random people. So he built a school. I think he has about 235 students, and they have the highest test scores in the whole region, even if against all the other nonprofits that have schools there. And he's so proud of it. And when you talk to this guy about it, he's like, oh, yeah, you know, we did this scrap metal deal where I bought 50 million pounds of scrap metal and shipped it to China. And I was trying to quadruple my money in one sale. And we do all this kind of business and we make tons of money. He's like, but my school, like, this is it. <laughs> and he's so proud. The other businesses are cool, but making a difference in his, what's important to him lights him on fire. So well, that piece for people, didn't mean to cut you off, but that piece is helping them figure out what is that difference they want to make. That would just light their soul on fire in a good way. I think that's the challenge because I think in general, people need to move from ambition to meaning at some point in their lives. But at what point and how and what does ambition mean for them and what does meaning mean for them? Those are all blanks that need to be filled in and it's difficult. For most people, that feeling of enough needs to be satiated at some point where they're like, wait a second, I'm good. Like, according to my belief system, my outlook on life, what I think is important, I have enough. Like, it doesn't mean I don't want more. I can go achieve as much as I want just to do it. And this is really the give it in your book is yeah. basically kind of transforming from that. Mm-hmm. So so what now, getting back to, though, to the ambition, you know, I think a large, particularly given the economy in the past, like five, six years, everyone's scared because everything's turned not necessarily bad or good, but upside down. Yep. So... What's kind of like someone comes to you, they're a wreck, they feel their life's upside down, they just got a divorce, their job's insecure. What's kind of like, how do you, how do you kind of write the path initially? Like, sure. you know, get everything on us on the, the straight path so they can kind of continue work with you. Yeah. Ideal day and small wins. Mm. So that thought process, what's their so ideal the day? most important thing. Just start with the ideal day. Mm. Um, I would love to ask them their five-year vision, but most people pass out with their like five-year vision ah. it could <laughs> change <laughs> everything can change right. you know businesses come and go in five years everything changes in five years six months i don't know what's going to happen so saying what's your big long-term plan freaks people out so if you just start with a day and they go okay here's my day say okay let's turn that into reality let's use this day concept as a small win but it'll be a big win but let's just say it's a small win what daily habits do you need to get that day into reality just to give you some more confidence that, hey, you can take something that was once in your imagination, once on paper, but now it's real. And if you can turn nothing into something, real, tangible something, all of a sudden people have confidence of like, wow, if I could turn this writing on paper into this reality, just in daily living, simple things I do every day, what else can I do this with? Hmm. Then we say, okay, now let's raise the bar. What goal do you want? Let's do that. Now what? Now what? And all of a sudden their confidence comes back. Their certainty in themselves come back. Their belief, their faith comes back of like, wow, not spiritual faith, but that, that, that belief, that knowing of like, wow, it's possible. And I've done it. 
and they start to get momentum. And at that point of momentum, now you can start raising the bar, adding in more things and going. And, and at some point, it always happens, you add a little bit too much and things start to go haywire. Mm. <laughs> All of a sudden their health starts dropping and then they're stressed out and then the kid did something and then something else happened. And you're like, whoa. But that kind of underlines that the ideal day might be different than what they initially thought. And it usually changes. Mm-hmm. But at least start with something. Right. Um, and, and along the road, natural things happen. I mean, one thing we talked about in the book was three opponents. So, you know, <laughs> you're going to have the best plan in the world. And I guarantee at some point, one of these three opponents, if not all three, will show up. And I use them as an exciting point of progress instead of feeling defeated. And, and the first is an outside opponent, meaning you're going to say, this is my plan. This is what I'm doing. And someone's going to go, that's ridiculous. Hmm. You're like, what? <laughs> Why? Like, ugh. You know, I'm still nervous about the plan. You don't need to tell me that. And then eventually you'll get through them and you'll keep working. And then, uh, you know, the, the, the intimate opponents, a family member, a, a wife, a kid, someone who really knows your buttons will be like, why would you do that? Like, that'll ever work. Remember last time you tried and failed? And it's like, really? You had to kick me in the face right at the moment when I'm about to take the big leap? Like, that's just rude. <laughs> and they mean no bad intent. It's just their belief system doesn't see the way you see and then eventually the hardest opponent is always yourself. Mm-hmm. It's the day when it's like, okay, I'm doing it. And you look in the mirror and you're like, but is it the right move? I don't know. <laughs> you know, I, I, I actually really like that model of the three opponents. And again, it seems like coming up with good, consistent frameworks for people to work with is like a great model for, for coaching and to yeah. bring people along. But for you, who was your, who was your, not your outer opponent or your inner opponent, but who was your middle opponent, the, the intimate opponent, the family member. Oh man. Um, different people at different times. I remember when I was about to leave working for dad and start my own company, I remember my grandpa, my mom's side being like, why would you do that? You know, you have, you have health benefits working for your dad. Um, that's kind of an old depression way of thinking too. Yeah, It's so, a safe job. Yeah. You know, I don't think they're going to fire you. I'm like, you don't know my dad. I'm pretty sure you will. <laughs> um, Did he ever threaten that like, Jarek, you're out of here at the age of 23? Uh, nothing like that. He, he said, you know, he basically said, I'll help you through school. And after that, you're on your own. And there's one rule about money. Don't ask. <laughs> he was very clear about that multiple times over. And he showed me many examples in his own life where he was this close and needing something. And he's like, no, train yourself to find a way. Train yourself to find a way and it'll be the best muscle you can give yourself in this area of of life. That is so valuable because, you know, I have two daughters and I always consider um, what am I going to do with, you know, in in general. But I think what your dad's advice to you was is is the only answer. Yeah. And, and, you know, how you structurally and legally set that up, that becomes a whole industry in itself. (laughs) But uh, I think your your dad's advice was very, was very powerful. It's sound. And when he first shared it with me, I was like, you know, maybe he'll change his mind down the road. But I can remember multiple times when I did something. I mean, even as much as I had $5,000 of dental work done, thinking it would go on insurance and then found out somehow I didn't have insurance for two days that I happened to have the dental work on. Mm -hmm. And so now I have $5,000 on a credit card and I'm just getting out of college. And that's a lot of money. And I'm like, you know, with interest, this is going to take forever to pay down. And remember thinking, like, I have this strategy. I'm going to go ask Dad to help me. And, like, getting to the house, sitting down, and remembering the conversation. And he's like, so, what's up? And I'm like, life is good. (laughs) You didn't want to bring it up here. No. I'm like, I'm not even going to do it. I'm not going to do it. Like, Mm -hmm. I remember the lesson he taught me. I didn't when I strategized the whole drive over of how I was going to do it. But when I got there, I'm like, you know, I'll learn more from figuring that out than I ever will asking him to do it. And I don't know how this came about, but on that topic, I remember – when I first sat down to kind of put my plan together, instead of looking at how much money I make, how prestigious the job would be, where I would go after school, my question was what skills could I learn that would make me a self-sufficient human being? Meaning if I got picked up, taken to the other side of earth, dropped off and left somewhere where I didn't know anybody, I didn't speak the language, I didn't know any of the local people or anything, that based on the skill sets I had within me, I could add immense value to this community so much so that I could at first barter for what I needed and then eventually add so much value that I could make a handsome living and take care of the ones I love and give back and have fun in the process. And so I was always concerned with what are the skill sets inside of me that I could just give to the world and and I used the old thought process of what would my trade be? 
Like that's an old term people would say, you know, it's a tradesman. And, mm-hmm. and, and what would my trade be? What would my trade to society be to offer up so that I would have something of value? And so every skill I ever studied and learned came down to if I learned this skill and if I got proficient at it, could I trade this for value in today's world? And how much value would it be worth? And who could I offer it to? And I constantly look for more things, and I still do, that I could learn and that learn it, then I could live it, apply it in my own life, get real results, and give it, pay it forward. Well, sometimes yeah. that's monetizing, sometimes it's just giving. Right, and it is related to the coaching business. It's like what we discussed earlier. You can't coach on the stuff that you haven't lived. Yeah, and people that, do, but people do. you can but, see through it. But the other thing is, though, as you now go from a practice to a business, you can bring on coaches who have lived it, too. Yep. So that's powerful. And I that, mean, ultimately, you want equity value in your business. So it becomes a business that investors could come in, or it's a business you can sell or merge with other businesses, yeah. and that's how you do it. And that that's an actual business. Yes. So that's the transition from you know coaching practice to coaching business. and. And where are you on that? Have you hired your first round of coaches? Are we're, you are you we're, there? We're training our first round. Um, we haven't. Do they hired pay them. to train? Are you coaching to coach? Um, so I actually had a friend come to me who was thinking about getting his uh, medical doctor's degree because he wanted to just take his skill set to another level. And he's like, "But I'd also want to do what you do, kind of like it's awesome." You know, I, he's a trainer. He helps design body sculpting programs mm-hmm. for people. He's done bodybuilding. He's very successful. Kind of like me a little bit with the bodybuilding. Yeah, <laughs> um, and, and he came to me and he's like, hey, like, you know, if you put the package together to train me on this stuff, how would you do it? So I outlined it and I showed him. I'm like, this is what we would cover. This is what it's used for. This is how it's useful. This is customized to also your practice and business you already have. And he liked it. That's incredibly valuable. Just that process is valuable. Yeah. And it's handcrafted. So this package was made for him based on what he's doing with his clients already with a bunch of different tools and strategies that will enhance what he's already doing and make him even more effective. Because now what you have lived also is six years of coaching business. So you really know, you know, this is a big chunk of your life, like 20% of your life. You really know how to turn somebody from a different background into somebody who can coach others. Mm-hmm. And so that's a valuable process that you gave that guy. And, and it's fun. We're in process actually right now. I think we're just about halfway through and uh, is it 12-week program? either eight or 12 weeks we put together for him. Um, but every week we meet and we go over three tools and we show him how to use it. Throughout the week, he uses them on various clients, comes back, mm-hmm. asks questions. We, sh- we make sure he's really getting the result. He uses it himself. He's loving it. And he and you have hooked him up with the clients to work with? Nope. He already had clients. Okay. Um, he was personal training. But in personal training, you hear people's life stories and you right. see their situations. But now he's using these tools and he's like, dude, this is awesome. Um, he got a testimonial on his first day with his first client, someone he had already worked with in, in training-wise. And the guy's like, wow, that one tip you, you, you gave me literally changed my life, man. Like, <laughs> I think personal training probably is a really great way to kind of like – blend your, into the coaching business. Yeah. Like I, I had a personal trainer for a while and he would give like good, encouraging, you know, life tips that mm-hmm. I remembered, even though we had totally different backgrounds, everything. Yep. And I wasn't really the best person to, <laughs> you know, I, I would get too tired after an hour, but, uh, uh, he, he was very good. He, I could have seen him going into the coaching business. Yep. And I think that's a neat industry as well. I have a friend who teaches personal trainers coaching skill sets specifically so that when you're in that session with someone, you have the ability to help coach them in other right. areas of life while they're working out. Um, so that process of I have my eye on him. I don't know if he'd be up for it, but I think he would be probably a really proficient one of our first coaches. Um, I wonder how you can also – I wonder how you can you – you need to almost – I hate to use the word certification program because that's, that, there's a little BS element of that. But it's almost like you should offer a special retreat to train coaches and then – Hire the best, the students. best ones. Yeah, <laughs> we're thinking about it, and we're we're trying to figure that side of our business out. So we're still in the planning mode. We're still yeah. in the outlining mode of here's how it's going to work. Here's where our coaches will come from. Here's the qualities they're going to have. Here's the you know the level at which they can really apply it, and the results they're going to have in their own life. Here's the consistency they have to live, and who they're going to be. Um, we're, we're outlining all these things and we have the program structure. So the thought of, you know, what's someone going to do when you're not involved? So we figured that out and we put me on video so that I am involved. And we were, our outline so far would have me on video one week training on a specific tool set. And then the next week they would have all week to live it. And then the next week they have their coach to check in and be like, how'd it go? What worked? What didn't? How do we tighten it up? What do we do from here? 
They have the next week to apply everything they learned before they learn new skills. Then they'd have a whole other week to apply it, get back to their coach. What happened? And so it'd be that constant piece of me, their coach, me, their coach, me, their coach. Right. So they never feel like they've lost the thread to you, but they have this other coach. It's really... You're the coach, and they have kind of the accountability partner who's working for you, but who's going to make sure they're accountable, yep. and then you're back in there. Yep. And so that I way, like that model. I'm excited, because we can reach a lot more people, which is exciting to yeah. me. Yeah. Because now I don't have to max out it. You know, you asked the question earlier, how many can I max out? Now we never take more than 15 at a time. Right. Well, you want uh, <laughs> ideally, you want to be as scalable as possible. Unless you don't. Unless you're happy yeah. with the way things are. But yep. you ultimately want to be scalable. I do. I want to reach more people. Mm-hmm. It's exciting to me. I mean, if we could, instead of saying, hey, we, you know, we got to work with 30 people this year or 15, 20 people this year. It's like, hey, we got to work with, I don't know, 2,000 people this year. That was a pretty cool year. Like 2,000 lives changed because we were a part of them for well, this year. I feel like in this interview we got live it times 20 like we got the the live it and we got you know all the 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 inner workings of your coaching business but i definitely recommend people read live it it's a great book my wife and i read it and um and i think you really do give a good framework for for living a better life and, and exploring more importantly exploring how to find that better life to live so I highly recommend the book. I Thank hope you. you consistently beat me. I'll I'll stay number two, <laughs> and you can be number one I, for I a little ch- while. I, I checked this morning. You're back at number one. <laughs> back at number one. I had two one-star reviews, though, so you'll, you'll get back there. So Fair enough. Um, but thanks very much, Jack. It was a great interview. Thanks for coming on the show. Of course. Thanks for having me. Yeah, thank you. For more from James, check out the James Altucher Show on the Stansberry Radio Network at stansberryradio.com and get yourself on the free insiders list today. For over 130 years, McCormick has helped you make mom's lasagna to keep her secret recipe alive. Take over taco night, no matter how chaotic your day is. Conquer the bake sale, even if you get to it last minute. And craft the perfect Sunday brunch when it's not even Sunday. Because with McCormick by your side, it's going to be great.